and welcome back to Literally Literary. If this is your first time joining us, be sure to check out our previous episodes. This episode, we will continue our discussion on Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Rebuy. Last episode, we gave a synopsis of the novel and talked about some of the strongest points, such as Jay's relationships with his family and his realization of the happenings in the Philippines under President Duterte. This episode, we will focus on the first half of the novel. So in the, in the first half, uh, even before the first chapter, um, you had a passage, Vanessa, in the, in the forward of the, of the book um, that kind of uh, sets the tone, you know, for the, for the novel and um, the thematically. And uh, what, what was it about that? What's the context here? Yeah. Well, I really like this one because it's a flashback. So before we even actually dive into the actual story, um, we have a flashback from Jay, and it's the last time he was ever in the Philippines. And he's talking about a memory that he has of June, um, about a puppy that's killed, and how June reacts to this situation. And so I really like that because it kind of makes you see June as a specific type of person that cares about, like, everything that's going around on around him, like, the people, the animals, everything that's happening. He's very... What's the word I'm thinking of? He's compassionate. He yes. has uh, yeah. empathy. Yes. That's the word I was thinking of. Because I think in contrast, I think uh, the, one of the points in that is that um, a lot of his other family members are kind of indifferent to this puppy's mm-hmm. death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, part of that could be the the coping strategy, right? Mm-hmm. Living in uh, in the place that um, you know um, mm. there's a lot of hardship, and you know it goes into the the slums, as he mentions later on. That uh, there's going to be death everywhere, and you know just kind of that defense mechanism that they might have already. Um, yeah. Was there a strong line in particular from that? Hmm. I, I like the opening line. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was a day of soil, sunlight, and smoke, mm-hmm. and that S alliteration. You know, wow. uh, um, it's just kind of an interesting um, mixture of different, you know, sim- symbols. I would say of nature. Yeah, <clears throat> it's his memory of this this land, and, and of course, you know, we find out later that. Um, he's visiting, you know, he was born in the Philippines, but he doesn't have too much of a connection. So that's one of his early memories, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> with spending time with his family there. And um, it does kind of set up kind of the rest of the book in, in some way. Mm-hmm. Like a nice a nice little bookend, if you will. Mm-hmm. But it's a good mm-hmm. start. Yeah. And I also liked, um, there's two strong lines that I had in this part. Um, I also liked when his mom is hugging him. And she says, one thing dies and another is born. Maybe the puppy's soul has now has wings because they see a bird. Mm-hmm. And I really like that one because it was something that I kind of related to. And the sense that the day after, before I was born, my great-grandmother passed away. So mm-hmm. I never met her. But it was like she passed away on the 10th mm-hmm. and I was born on the 11th. Wow. So it was something that I was like, it kind of triggered that for me. Yeah. Hmm. 
And then I also liked, on the following page, it says, um, he's it's Jay thinking to himself, and he wants to ask June about what happened with the puppy. But he says, but I didn't. We can only handle so much truth at any given moment, I suppose. So instead, I said nothing. Mm. And I feel like that's Jay's perspective on a lot of things, that he doesn't really ask a lot of questions. And I think throughout the novel, it kind of changes for him. Mm. Like, he starts to ask more questions, and he starts to stand up for, like, what he's trying to understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point about his uh, development, because, you know, I remember the scene in the dinner table, and... You know, um, he, he feels like it's it's not the right time to bring it up, you know, because mm -hmm. he sees, uh, you know, Tito Manin, if, if that's how his his name is is pronounced, that um, he kind of runs it, you know, like um, like he calls the shots, right? Yeah. And, mm -hmm. You know. Strict, strict household. Yeah, disciplinarian, authoritarian kind of thing. Mm -hmm. and, and up until that point, Jay actually feels pretty convicted that he's going to confront him you know mm -hmm. he's he's set mm -hmm. he says for, as soon as he sees him he's gonna walk right up to him and ask him what mm -hmm. happened to june um of course though this doesn't isn't the case and uh you know a lot of this this part of the book is is um about truth and we talked mm -hmm. about this in the first episode right mm -hmm. um connection to truth and how we perceive reality <clears throat> And is is that um, from the passage you wanted to talk about the the one on thirty one about the photos and mm -hmm. you know um, we've talked about photos a lot through our the different books mm -hmm. you know um, so here kind of the um, but photos and the websites was it that you wanted to share? Yeah, so I mean, so speaking of of Jay's connection to truth, right, which brings in the passage that Vanessa was just talking about to, you know, flash forward so many years later where now he's um, a senior in high school, about to graduate, um, and finds out about the death of his cousin June, right? Consoled him. And they, you know, we find out that they had a special relationship, a special connection in which, you know, June was writing letters. Um, and Jay has a hard time accepting the truth of what he, you know, what he's told you know, again, uh, when we talk about truth, what are we what are we told? What's reported and what's actually happening? I think that has a lot to do with um, not just the personal story of his family, but again, um, speaking of Philippines, mm -hmm. you know, he is a Filipino American, and uh, a huge aspect of this book is is you know he mentions it in his dedication for the hyphenated. So you know, you listen to to uh, Randy Rubai in interviews talk about, you know, how it's about trying to navigate two identities at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and that has come up a lot in, in, in some of our discussions already in the previous books we've talked about, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's actually interesting how that continues on. Yeah. But um, <laughs> so continuing on, right, um, as as a Filipino-American, he's he hasn't really grown up or experienced a whole lot of the Philippines, but obviously... When he finds out about his cousin's death, he needs to know more. And so his relationship with the truth changes. In fact, I even mentioned, he even mentions that the truth is a hungry thing. And so he becomes obsessed with wanting to learn more. And so he stays up 
at night researching and researching, find, reading article after article and finding out about this war on drugs, and um, <clears throat> which he finds out a little bit more about, you know, these extrajudicial killings uh, from Duterte's re regime. And so something that I thought was interesting um, around page, well, yeah, page 30 and 31, he's talking about these articles. Um, let's see. A lot of the reports speak of the violence. One thing he notes upon is how the reporters don't hold back and the photographers don't. And so at the top of mm -hmm. page 31, he kind of mentions this. Um, <clears throat> and hide, well, I guess it's the, I'll read a couple of prayers starting from the bottom of page 30 on, on onwards to 31. He, say, he writes, <clears throat> In high definition, I see the victim's wounds, their oddly twisted limbs, their blood and brain matter sprayed across familiar-looking streets. In every dead body, I see June. I want to look away. But I don't. I need to know. I need to see it. These photographers didn't want to water it down. They wanted the audience to confront the reality, to feel the pain that's been numbed by headline culture. So... What's happening in this passage, you know, again, I mentioned his his, his um, hunger for truth, I think, becomes ever satiated. And also he, he kind of confronts this idea of a of a headline culture um, that is what's reported and what's actually happening. And, and one thing I think he realizes upon upon his findings is how there are discrepancies, right? There's like the official account mm -hmm. of, you know, and so, of course, what's happening during this war is it's the, the poor, the, the victims of maybe drugs, um, you know, this cycle mm -hmm. of drug abuse and addiction. And it's it's often the poor, right? But in these, these extrajudicial killings, and one thing he finds, um, and it's a lot of times it's outside of Filipino media, mm -hmm. is the critic critique, I guess, right? And of course, like I said, there's that discrepancy between the official account and mm -hmm. what people are, are actually reporting. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the, the many instances in which uh, we come to deconstruct what we understand as truth in the book. And of course, um, this only leads into him wanting to find out more. And ultimately, he want, he decides to go visit. So bring us to the book. Yeah, I mean, uh, a, a lot of uh, good points that you make there, um, but, um, you know, that go into the, the, the nature of, of reality that he's trying to um, uncover, right? That hunger. And it's that idea in the in the novel of um, truth is pain, you know, because um, mm. it's it's pain and pain isn't necessarily a bad thing per se. Like it's painful to find out all these things about June. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's a catharsis there, I think, from you know, closure, right? Like, uh, now I know, it's, right? It's, it's confronting it, mm -hmm. right? Even the stuff that hurts. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you know, you mentioned the, the media and, and the, the government, right? The official record. And it reminds me a, a lot. We talked about this in episode one about um, uh, the drug war in, in, in Mexico mm -hmm. because it, it's exactly the same thing to me that in, in, in Mexican press, I don't know if you're follow it but you know especially during the height of the drug war back you know when when everything begins and ends was set 
um, they don't they don't censor anything. It's not like American media where you know they they, they cut it off. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it shows all the blood. You know, I remember seeing t- on television. You know, um, neighbors. You know, uh, I'll, I'll spare you the gory details, but it, but it was pretty oh. bad. You know, yeah. gr- uh, grody and um, uh, macabre even. Um, so it's it's just like that. It seems here, and part of that sensationalism, I think, is to put the fear in the community, right? That like this is this is happening, and these are people that you know ultimately have have what's coming to them. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, you know, dehumanize them, of course, right? By just making them a statistic or this like bloody corpse on the ground and that's uh, that's gonna be a key key point later on in the book yeah like yeah. how do we go against that mm-hmm. kind of grouping yeah as the, a statistic you know like you mean the the counter narrative right yeah. yeah exactly yeah and I guess we'll probably touch on that more on episode two, uh, three yeah episode. Uh, did you have a, a strong line from this part I do. Um, <laughs> um, so right before the passage that Richie was talking about is when Jay finds out about June being killed. Um, and so before he starts his research, it's on page 20, like 22, 23 in that area. <clears throat> and his mom gets home and he starts asking her about it. And I think it's interesting that she's her answer to him is that it's not going to do anything for you, she says, except cause you more pain. Mm. And so I found that that was really interesting because I feel like that's ties into what Randy Rebuy says about how kids need to know what's going on in the world and we can't just be sheltering everybody from everything because mm-hmm. then they grow up to be ignorant and not know what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt like that was really interesting because his father is Filipino. But his mother is white. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I feel like she has a s- specific way of raising him. And that's, I guess, in this American way that we shelter kids. Mm-hmm. But then she also starts to tell him about what's going on in the Philippines because he's not letting it go. And he really wants to know what happened in June. And so she starts telling him about Shabu, which is meth in the mm-hmm. Philippines. Mm-hmm. Um, and his first assumption about what happened in june is that he overdosed but then she looks at him like he's crazy and Mm -hmm. tells him that it was the police that actually killed him Mm -hmm. and she starts to explain to him about duterte and his policies um and that's what kind of triggers him to start researching everything and looking at these articles and these photos yeah um and, uh, you know, Shabu itself, it's a word that he says here, right? Like, he tests the shape of the unfamiliar word in his mouth. It sounds like it could be, te- um, in, um, you know, the, Fili- the Filipino language, uh, te- tag- uh, te- Tagalog, or I can't pronounce it right. So, you know, um, Tagalog. 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 Yeah, thank you. Um and I think that's that's kind of uh, also for himself, you know, as far as the truth, right? It becomes kind of an obstacle because it goes back to he's hyphenated, right? And, you know, um, 
he feels mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you know an outsider even though he's got that uh he's half filipino mm-hmm. um and uh in the in the next page that you had mentioned um you know the way that duterte was elected in, in 2016 you know the, the law and order type Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I reading that, it just sounds like Trump, you know, because he ran on being the law and order candidate. And um, so it, it's very similar. And, uh, I, uh, you know, it's kind of that um, tough on crime view that, you know, we've had in America before. Um, and um, it it's it's a, uh, it's something that certainly, of course, Suterte, you know, is keeping his word on right as far as his policies go mm-hmm. um and and so he kind of you know jay kind of um doesn't know what it makes sense that this is where it piques that curiosity that you had mentioned richie about you know the truth is a hungry hungry thing on 29 um we had also mentioned the the letters and uh, i like that epistolary nature of the novel that even though it's not all letters, that this is how we get a picture of June. Um, and uh, because letters are, you know, directed to Jay, mm-hmm. they become very intimate yeah. and confessional and uh, a portrait of, of, um, of June that, you know, we would not otherwise get from his family, it seems, right? Even because Absolutely. his family seems to be muted, right? And uh, altogether... Uh, not oblivious, but um, trying to forget his memory altogether, right? Mm-hmm. And something we talked about with in the previous episode. Yeah, something they're not confronting, you know? Yeah. And a lot of it has to do with Tito, Tito Manning's, like, kind of stronghold. Mm-hmm. You know, his iron he wants fist. things to be run. Yeah. Um, so I had that letter on 60, but I don't know if anyone had one before that. Mm. Like 64. Like the mall story? Is that the yeah. one? Uh, well, the, the letter, letter and then um, also uh, there's the Seoul Korea uh, mm. that you, you could go into. But Yeah. Oh, I mean, I was just looking at the messages that Jay gets on Instagram and it's a picture of June. I felt like that was really important because it kind of pushed him more to want to know the truth about June and it kind of is what leads to him asking his parents to let him go to the Philippines on page 40. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's that anonymous account, right? That, right, yeah. Um, yeah. And um, there's a lot, I think, in this novel about how, um, you know, uh, what, what is what is what is the truth, right? And uh, I think as the novel progresses, it, it, the truth, you know, gets complicated and um but but yeah i mean it's it's another of that impetus you know that he the catalyst that he needs to finally decide that he needs to find out what really happened you know Mm -hmm. it's at least he could do after corresponding with him so much well he gets um a couple links to that account and i think there's one that uh, was dedicated to maybe speaking alternative stories. Mm-hmm. Not so much the official count, but 
speaking through eyewitnesses and security mm-hmm. footage. Mm-hmm. And um, through that, you realize that um, obviously there are some human rights issues going on there. And I think like you were talking about this this impetus for him to want to dig deeper. I think a lot of this also is his guilt for not responding to June's letters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so there is, there is that, and he, he is able to end up going, right, uh, on the uh, pretext that he's just going to, you know, reconnect with his family, right? And, of course, so his, it's a white lie. You know, we talked mm-hmm. about that yeah. the last episode. Um, so on the letter from 64, or, um, oh, is it different ones? Yeah, it's, oh. a, it's a different one. Um, no, it's the same one. Oh, it's the same one? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. It's, this one's a really long letter. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I like this letter because, um, kind of, um, you know, shows the side of, of June that, um, makes him a little different from everyone else, mm-hmm. you know, and here from the religious perspective, you know, um, I think religion is another thing to think about in terms of how interrogative he is of like organized religion, um, that, you know, it, it's a scene where there's a baby and, you know, he, he's, uh, he's wondering like, well, can't we take care of it? Right. And, you know, um, uh, his Tete, um, you know, tells him, well, you know, we can't, right? Like if, if there's going to be a baby, like there's going to, there's a lot of other babies, right? Kind of, she's just trying to kind of put things into perspective of the practicality of the matter. Um, but then, you know, he mentions the, 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 the parable of, um, not the parable, but the story of the Good Samaritan from the Gospels. And mm-hmm. and it's what they heard at Mass, you know. So it's like, right. how do you make sense of that, right? <laughs> um, and then he mentions, you know, the strong line for me on, on 64 is, um, if everyone did a little bit, then everyone would be okay, I think. And so most people do nothing. So it's kind of uh, that idea of, I mean, in some sense, you could see it as hypocrisy, but you could also see it like apathy or, mm. you know, um, that people stop being religious once they step out as, out, outside the, the church doors. Um, you know, they forget the, what it means to be live a Christian or a moral life, I should say. Um, so that that is um, something I really like about June is he's got that empathy that you guys mentioned. Yeah. Um, and um, and then he kind of just ends, you know, by talking about like, um, you know, even kind of showing um, that he's, you know, with Jay, right, about video games, right? And it kind of like, it's that really big um, discrepancy of like, right. Whereas June's talking about the poverty he's experiencing, and mm-hmm. you know, meanwhile he's having trouble with a video game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think that. It stills maybe more that guilt that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. You know, he referenced that several times that while June was going through this, I was playing mm-hmm. video games or whatever it mm-hmm. was. Like, yeah. um, did you guys have any thoughts on on that before we get to the how he compares the U.S. to uh, Korea? No, to, to no, South I'm, Korea. No. no, I'm okay. I think you covered what I was what I found important in that part. Okay. 
Oh, well. You did it wonderfully. You did excellent. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, um, well, I know about when he's traveling. Yeah, so yeah. this is where you wanted to talk about this one, right? About um, he's traveling to Seoul, Korea. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not really a, a big point. I just thought it was, um, I think, an interesting point of realization for for Jay when he he stops in Seoul. And uh, he talks about the bathroom, of all things. Let's see. It's on page... 65. 65, yeah. Mm. Uh, how, do you, how do you say it? <clears throat> He's talking about, you know, waiting for his flight. And he says, it's okay because South Korea is apparently decades ahead, ahead of the rest of the world. This place is as bright and as clean as a spaceship in an optimistic sci-fi film. There are outlets and USB ports everywhere you look. There are computers and touchscreens set up throughout the terminal with free internet access. But most impressively, the toilets have these sci-fi doors that slide out of the wall with the push of a button. When you grow up in a country like the United States, you're constantly told it's the greatest place in the world. But then you go somewhere else one day and find out that bathroom doors like this exist and you start to question everything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just think that's just an interesting realization of, of him leaving home and realizing that, again, everything he's been, been told and, and thought he knew isn't exactly the case. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's just impressed by how. Um, and, and I think this is something that tends to happen a lot. In, in the U.S., this kind of consumption of mendacity, of, of being the best, of being the, the top in, in a lot of things. But, you know, maybe the reality is not quite there. And again, even though this is just a little moment for him as a character, it again points to the our relationship with truth and what we know. And um, and I think that also points to, like, travel more, you know? Mm -hmm. Widen your, mm -hmm. your, your worldview, your experience. Yeah. And uh, in particular, in this case, it's about, um, like you had mentioned, that the truth of, of America, right, that we think of ourselves as the best nation in the world. And uh, there's that idea of, of, you know, American exceptionalism. Yeah. Um, and here, from something as, as banal as, as a bathroom toilet, yeah. you know, indoors, that he just gets a sense of, of how different, you know, uh, what he might consider to be a global south country to be right uh like i like how he describes it as an optimistic sci-fi film <laughs> yeah not dystopic or anything because that could yeah. that could be a thing but yeah, no, yeah. it's an optimistic one oh mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean it kind of reminds me of like star trek mm -hmm. you know uh those doors that they have in star trek um <sighs> sound effects yes um so there is that, you know, uh, and he figures this in terms of like people, people lie, you know, adults lie. Um, so it's, the, it's that goes hand in hand with that. Um, did you guys have another one in the, in the beginning before like 88? I had one on 88. Mm -mm. No. no. Well, just uh, one thing is, is once he does arrive to Manila, um, it happens all throughout the book, but again, it goes back to, to this dedication for the hyphenated, but you know, him not being able to speak Tagalog, Tagalog. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think on page 70, yeah, it's on page 70, he kind of expresses this, 
this uncomfortable notion of how it makes them feel right, uh, not being able to speak, speak it. Uh, there was it when he's picked up by his family. Um, they ask if he mm. speaks Tagalog. He says, "No, sorry." Um, I say, wondering how many more times I'll have to apologize for that on this treat trip. <laughs> Each time I do is like admitting to some deep moral failing, right? So as if something's wrong with him, and I think that is something that he does experience, right? He feels judged, especially again his, his Tito Manning is makes makes it a point to address the fact that he is not brought up Filipino, doesn't know the language or the culture, right? We mentioned uh, at some point the books too. His his cousins are reading um, some of the big historical books, mm-hmm. and uh, he's just not familiar with them. Yeah, and the fact that he feels it as some deep moral failing, you know, speaks a lot to um, I think a lot of experience experiences of the immigrant. Um, especially when you're a child and, you know, you're not familiar with the place you came from. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, uh, of course, this this comes up all throughout his time here in the Philippines. And you you make a really good point about the, um, the immigrant experience in general for the hyphenated, right? Going back to the hyphenated. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking pre-show about this, too. Like, y'all's experiences with that when it comes to um, Spanish. Mm-hmm. How did you guys feel about that? Like, do you feel the same way or I do? Like, yeah, deep moral failing. It, I just feel like I. It's not just the fact that I'm, I'm not as good as I should be at it, but yeah, I do feel this deeper sense of like mm-hmm. failure. <laughs> like, yeah. I live here on the border. Now, you know, it's a little different story here, right? Mm-hmm. Just I should be better at it, and of course, uh, I do feel a lot of judgment sometimes from. You know, it's a lot of a lot of older, you know, um, mm. immigrants or just people here who are like you don't know you live here and you don't know, and so mm-hmm. I can identify a lot of times in the book when he's he's kind of struggling through it. Mm. You're trying, but it does kind of hurt when you don't grow up with it. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, do you guys feel um, like um, motivated to kind of? Um, you know, learn it more formally or like speak it more or like um, learn about the culture more, like Mexican culture, I mean, or. I think this book just more motivated me to not see the world as just what I have here in El Paso, Mm -hmm. that there's so much more going on and that I need to be more open with like learning things and knowing about things. Yeah. Um. I don't know, just learning any language right. would be interesting to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well I identify I identify as, as Chicano and a huge aspect of that is is kind of the the recognition recognition of the separation of culture. Hmm. And so I think for a lot of Chicano Chicano culture it's trying to attempt to to understand history, especially of like colonialism and um recognizing languages and cultures through the art through dance through music um and yeah just even through spanish even as a kind of colonized aspect of it as well mm-hmm. so i mean it's it's definitely um a lot harder as an adult to to pick up you know as easily mm-hmm. you know, yeah skills and it's you know it's definitely a, a topic of embarrassment you know and a vulnerability yeah. for me 
And I think for our students in at the Rio Grande campus, it's the other way around. Yeah. You know, the the they're of course um, in many cases uh, from from Juarez, so they speak uh, Spanish comfortably. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, it's their English literacies that you know they're 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 learning and um, building from. Mm-hmm. Um, and but there's also that sense of guilt for them from speaking Spanish, and it's about mm. us trying to make him feel comfortable that it's yeah. it's not a bad thing that you know Spanish. It, it's a, it's an yeah. asset, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. Um, because in, in academia we have that idea of like deficit culture, deficit culture that you know because they don't learn, they don't know English somehow that that's a that's a deficit. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, so. Um, so before the before we get to the middle of it, did you guys have other ones before one fifty? Yes, I have two. Nice. So I have um, starting around chapter. I mean chapter, page ninety one ish. That whole chapter of every single surviving word. I felt like this was a really important chapter because this is his first dinner with his family in the Philippines. And so he's talking with his uncle. And it doesn't seem to to me anyway, it didn't seem like it was much of a conversation between him and his uncle. It seemed more like of an interrogation or like shaming him of what him and his family and his dad are doing because mm-hmm. they left their family in the Philippines to go live in America. And so that I, it just felt more like an attack on him, like on Jay and his family. Um, he asks him if his sister is still wasting his dad's money studying art when oh she's studying God. graphic design. How many, and I was like, you guys identify oh. with that one too? <laughs> A little bit. So it was that one. And then he asks him what college he got into and... Mm-hmm. He tells, well, he asks him if he was accepted into Michigan University, and he says, yeah. And then he asks him, well, why didn't you apply to Harvard? And he's like, well, I didn't get in. And then it says, he nods as if expecting that. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was interesting. And then he starts bragging about his children, and he says, Grace will attend Harvard when she finishes her studies here. So I felt that that was really interesting, that he, he holds himself more... I guess higher than the rest of his family mm-hmm. because he has his kids that are like staying their family knows their culture and they live there and they experience it. Mm-hmm. Whereas Jay and his family are living in America. Mm-hmm. And like you said, right, you know, uh, on 95, he, he, um, Jay, uh, rightfully, um, or accurately describes the, the dinner scene as this kind of interrogation, right? And mm-hmm. it kind of goes back to his, maybe like his, um, that uh, police lifestyle, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. But it, it shows that Manin, or Manning, if he's pronounced that way, that he, um, you know, he, he doesn't seem to have that flip of, like he doesn't take his police hat off. You know, mm-hmm. and so it shows how deep into that police mentality he is that he's able to unable to get out of that. He sees every kind of interaction with people with his own family in particular, mm-hmm. 
you know, in this kind of way. Uh, I think it's also a way of, of Dito to um, show his his own superiority, right? Like his moral superiority, cultural superiority, dominance mm-hmm. as well. Um, and and again, you know, for the hyphenated, the, the, the how it just ends up making Jay feel even more disconnected. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's guilts him even more, but I don't think that necessarily motivates him. It's it's a it's it's a kind of a negative reinforcement that he's practicing yeah. on him. And he gets so uncomfortable that he just ends up wanting to leave the table. Which even for that, Dito isn't comfortable he with. Needs permission, right? <laughs> yeah. Or you know that they don't waste food. Which I mean, I guess that's a, that's a good thing. But like, um, you know, the cultural difference, right? That in the Philippines they don't waste their food. But mm-hmm. I mean, if he's not, it's clearly very uncomfortable, right? Yeah, like, it was. I don't think it was so much about the food mm-hmm. as much as it was that he was uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple points later though where Tino Manning makes fun of him, where he's like, "We should have gotten you McDonald's instead." Yeah. Um, right when later on, or right to cook out and, the family. In this chapter, too, he says, I know it is not hamburgers or pizza, but I think Maria is a very good cook. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's that, too. <laughs> yeah. And again, it's just another way for to make him uh, feel like he's not really Filipino, mm-hmm. right? Um, when but, that's part of, like, the whole reason of this trip is, like, so that he gets more connected to his other side of the family. Mm-hmm. And here he is being attacked for trying to get to know that side of his family. So yeah. it's really interesting. Right. Yeah. So and he so he feels, you know, spotlighted cuz no one really is speaking up for him, you know, cuz it it Tito has this kind of reign mm-hmm. of terror in in his family. They, they eat in silence, right? Yeah. Almost pretty much. Yeah. And uh like you said, even though it's a family having dinner, it almost feels like an interrogation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was there something else in in this Well, one? the end of the chapter Jay goes back to his room where he's staying in. And he finds that all of his letters that play such an important part of Tintilis dun, dun, dun. are not there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're gone. They've gone missing. Yes. So that uh, kind of adds a plot twist to everything that's yeah. happened so far. Yeah. And and um, all the more so because um, when he had already gone to a, a, um, June's room, right? And he found that like it was like pres- not pristine, but it was like not his room anymore yeah well because his first thought was he can he can learn something by investigating his Mm -hmm. room Um, he mentions this thing like oftentimes and it's a sad thing to think about but when a kid dies before Mm -hmm. their parent like they kind of keep their room as it was almost like a a a monument of an altar who that kid was yeah Yeah. and so he's surprised when oh they just got rid of everything yeah it's just a guest room yeah and that, that kind of antagonizes Manning to him a lot more, right? The fact mm-hmm. that they would do this, and again, it reminds me of, uh, like I said, a brother in another language, right? Of how when his brother died, they did the same thing, right? They burned everything, they threw away everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that erasure. Yeah, so it makes him, I think, even more inquisitive. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the fact that he loses the letters, right? Like you were saying, it's like that last thing he could at least yeah. hold on to that was personal. Yeah. Um, Which yeah. also kind of leaves him like, what do I do next? What do I do now? Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll find that in part three. <laughs> ah. 
Well, before we get to part three, though, um... wait, I have another one. Oh, I'm you like, have another one? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, wait, yeah. not that one yet. <laughs> um, so, uh, starting on page 111, it's the chapter called Lead the Way. And I found that this one was super, super, super interesting because it's Jay and he gets to hang out with his cousin, um, Grace. Mm hmm. And he's asking her, well, like, what what does it feel like to be, like, one of the only teenagers in the world without a cell phone? And she's like, well, not everyone has a cell phone. But then he finds out that she does have a cell phone. And then, like, <laughs> it's, like, all of these things that he discovers about his cousin that she's hi essentially hiding from her dad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's interesting because Jay kind of sees it as his uncle has, like, feels like he has all of the power and he controls the family and he knows exactly what's going on and what's happening and what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But here they are and Grace is meeting up with her girlfriend and <laughs> right. she has a cell phone. And so like, I, I thought that was really interesting that it's like a twist. Yeah. I mean, it's a moment for Jay to kind of feel like a little like better. Like ah, he thinks he has his, this tight grip, but yeah. What's that, you know? yeah. Like you don't know what's going on. Give him a, maybe a little bit more footing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's it's very subversive, and uh, yeah, exactly. You know, a little bit more of that push and, and solace, you know, and solidarity, I should say. With um, it seems, you know, because it's it almost has that feel of like um, what's that movie, uh, Body Snatchers? You know, where like everyone around you is different, right? Very mm -hmm. Twilight Zoney that. How could this be right? No one's backing me up here, right? And it's, it's in these private little moments that he's able to at least find someone who, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. is doing her own her own act of defiance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's a good moment. Yeah. yeah. Anything else, Vanessa? No, that was it. Now we can go to the last part. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, what, what I like to, you know, we'll finish up with this one. It's, it's, it's uh, my favorite part from the first half, um, the museum visit. Uh, it's my favorite for several reasons. One is I, I really like visiting museums, um, the Smithsonian's and, um, you know, the ones here. Uh, I think um, they're very important to kind of think about historically, culturally, etc. In this case, though, it's like the museum visit from hell, you know, um, because, you know. <laughs> I mean, first of all, he gets to spend it with his warm and cuddly uncle. Yes, <laughs> you know, uh, no better company, right? And, uh, um, you know, um, it, throughout the whole visit, uh, Tito makes it a point to... Uh, you know, show him the different exhibits, except for the modern art, you know, we'll know, uh, which he calls literally uh, garbage. Um, but, um, you know, uh, for him, it's it's a political vehicle. It's a political installation because he says on, on page 150 that you can thank President Duterte. He understands how important it is for all the people to know and honor their history. The only shame is that more do not take advantage of this great opportunity, um, which I guess in a in a kind of um, in isolation that is a good thing you could argue, but you know knowing what put the president is doing here, 
I mean, it's good that the museums are free, as he notes, uh, you know, because I will say that in the U.S. that's one of the big issues, right? And it's what Jay mentions that, like, you know, it's like $30 to get tickets and, you know. And if you want to eat. You know, oh, another $30. <laughs> yeah. So, that, so, you know, that's a good point. I think it's important to invest in the arts and the humanities. And it's what we're doing here and through the Humanities Collaborative. Um, but, um, you know, it's like um, there's something below the surface, right? A current running through below that we see gradually develop throughout this this um, section, this chapter. Um, well, for one, it's that uh, we realize and that Jay realizes that on page 151, um, you know, he has this epiphany. Tito Manin and I don't hold any actual conversations as we check all of this out, right? So he's checking all of the, the exhibits, artifacts, and so forth. And mostly um, he, he points to things and says, Jason, I am thinking you, you know nothing about this, or mm -hmm. this is what they wanted us to forget. Occasionally, he quizzes me on background knowledge I obviously don't have. It doesn't take me long to realize that this trip is less about educating me and more about exposing my ignorance. I really like that, this paragraph, because it really shows, um, you know, the way that Tito is, right? That even something as as uh, friendly as a visit to the museum, you know, Tito makes it a point to make um, mm -hmm. uh, Jay feel less lesser than, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and... Um, so I, I, I found that really important to uh, mm -hmm. to find the way that Tito is, you know, about something like this and and that he really doesn't care, uh, you know, about uh, Jay and at least like trying to be friendly to him. Right. Um, or at least, you know, um, try to make him feel like this is how you can learn about you know, your culture, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, it's very an antagonistic, right? Yeah. It, you, you don't want Tito as a tour guide at a museum. Um, yeah, and it, it kind of starts to build up this theme that, that um, builds up, like you see a little bit later on about adults failing the children, but hmm. in, that, in that sense of that he, instead of like actually trying to culturally educate him, it's, he's trying to, again, expose yeah. his ignorance and pull this one on him. And mm -hmm. it's so. Oh. <laughs> oh, I Sorry. was just gonna say the the modern art thing. It's also uh, selective, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you know, if it's modern art, somehow he can't. You know, that that's he's already applying that subjective view, right? I mean, it's it's like he's cherry picking it, you know. Right. right. Um, but go ahead. What were you gonna say? Oh, I was just gonna talk about a line on one fifty one. Well, a couple lines. It's towards like the bottom half of the page. Mm -hmm. It says, I don't know if you guys talked about it, but it, it went into what you guys were saying. Mm -hmm. So it says, it doesn't take me long to realize that this trip is a lot less about educating me and more about exposing my ignorance. It's a lot of information, and as much as I'd love to remember it all, the only thing staying in my head is how badly I'm failing. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, it's definitely on point. Yeah. Where he was. Everything that you said, it's in the Not book. everything, <laughs> half of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... You know, the thing about, um, you know, he does feel guilty about it, right? Mm -hmm. he, he does feel ashamed. But, 
you know, when it comes to education, which is what museums are all about, it's not about shaming people, right? Like, Dito mm -hmm. it couldn't be doing it more wrong. Yeah. You know, um, <clears throat> if, if anything, Jay should, would have been better off self-guiding himself through the tour, mm. you know. Um, but it goes back to what you're saying about how, you know, um, as, as this novel develops and we'll see the second half of this in episode three that, you know, Tito is becoming uh, the antagonist of the novel to me. Uh, and it's, mm -hmm. of course, ironic, right? I mean, he's family. Mm -hmm. So there's a conflict here between, you know, his blood and uh, the truth, you know, and it kind mm -hmm. of reminds you of like barn burning if you guys... Uh, read that Faulkner story it's very similar uh, about loyalty right loyalty to the truth versus loyalty to uh, his 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 Tito mm -hmm. um, did you guys want to um, hit pause on this and then yeah I think for part three we're definitely gonna look uh, at the extents in which some people are willing to expose the truth and of course uh, look deeper into the story of June and and, and via that, you know, the reality, um, one reality of many that's happening in the Philippines. So, yeah, that's good. Thanks for joining us in our discussion on Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Rebuy. Join us on our next episode as we finish the discussion. And if you haven't read it, we hope we inspire you to pick up a copy. Literally Literary is brought to you by the Mellon Foundation through the Humanities Collaborative at EPCC and UTEP. Follow us on Instagram as well at literallyliterary.ep.